Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. We have another great episode for you today. I, for those of you that have been listening to the podcast, you know that I love to have on guests from the manufacturing world. Uh, it's a deep passion of mine uh, from my ERP implementation days. Uh, and today we have joining us Alex Hoffer. Alex, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Alex, tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. So um, I always like to start with the company. Um, Hoffer Plastics was founded by my grandfather in 1953. You know, fast forward to the present, we are a plastics company run by my sisters and I. So I have two sisters in the business um, and along with my dad, who's still very active. And we manufacture plastic parts for various industries, packaging, automotive, appliance, consumer, industrial, and our passion, and it's exactly what you're just talking about, is utilizing manufacturing, specifically plastic parts, to better off humanity. And I know that sounds idealistic, but in our world, uh, when you travel around the, the globe and you see how little plastic parts uh, impact the lives of human beings, you just realize that that's a true statement. And uh, that is where our, our passion lies. So yeah. that's kind of what we do and why we do it. Uh, as far as me, um, 39 years old, married, three kids, uh, have a blog, blog that I invite our listeners to uh, check out, Bald in Business. You'll realize you see a picture of me. Um, I haven't had a bad hair day in 20 years, and I'm very <laughs> proud of that. So um, glad to be here and glad to talk about sales. That's awesome. Uh, I always start off my podcast this way. When you think back over your career, what are the three things that have really contributed to your success? Well, first thing I think about uh, when you ask that question is my grandfather. And my grandfather uh, not only founded the business, he uh, had a passion to, as my dad would say, uh, unceremoniously, unceremoniously, if I can say the word, would, would put his foot right in my dad's behind and say, get out and make some sales calls. And that was the old fashioned um, advice that my dad got that I got right off the bat. And I remember uh, one of my mentors who is our executive vice president telling me uh, the difference between mediocrity and excellence is often uh, for me, I live in the Chicagoland area. It's those of us who come back from a sales call. And instead of driving back to our house, we drive from the airport back to the office to keep at it. So um, persistence, number one. Um, number two, doing whatever you can to get in front of the customer. Uh, and then number three, just and just never giving up. And it's different than persistence because sales is so psychological and we're all told no, no, no repeatedly. I mean, if I go back to my dating life, I heard no so frequently that it was, you know, it's something I had to get over. I, I always tell people that that's where my sales career began. And, um, you know, you have to figure out how to overcome that 
overcome objection after objection. And for a ball guy, there's plenty of objections for these young ladies, right? So I had to figure out how to overcome that. And it took a lot of persistence, but it also that psychological belief that it could still happen, that the oh, yeah. sale could still happen. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, some people might think because you're in a family-owned business, you had it easy. Um, I think any entrepreneur would would laugh at that. But can you talk about your transition into your, you know, starting through your career, into your, your transition into sales leadership? Yeah, so um, a couple of things, Joe, about, uh, first, first and foremost, uh, I started in May of 2008 with the company. Now, please hear me, I, I've, you know, had worked a couple uh, summers. So I got really in tune with the air conditioners on top of our building because my dad thought it was a great idea for me. Uh, he wouldn't even let me in the building at the beginning. I had to go work on top of the roof, cleaning air conditioners because he wanted me to you know, start as, uh, you know, as low as I could go, if you will. And um, I started in May of 2008, working in a plant, um, being really chaperoned for lack of uh, better words by one of our foremen who's just uh, who's turned into a lifelong friend. And um, it was about, it was sort of like undercover uh, boss because he didn't, uh, his name's Tyrone. Tyrone didn't know that I was a Hoffer for about a week and a half. And we had this great moment where I looked at him. He kind of finally put two and two together. And I looked at him and I said, this does not change anything because I just want to be treated like one of the guys. And yeah. we had a lot of common interests and in sports and what have you. Um, but it was very quickly after that, that I got you know, moved up to the front office and I was in estimating. And my dad and I mentioned Jack earlier, they thought it'd be great for me to understand the numbers side of our business. And I gotta be honest with you, it's just sitting in front of a, a spreadsheet every day. And we've got a team that does that. Um, right now it's only one individual, um, which we can get into AI a little bit later, automation and those sorts of things. So that team's smaller than it used to be. Um, but that wasn't for me. Like I had to be, I, I was begging to get on the road and, and go make calls. And, and so I eventually was allowed to do that right in time for the great recession. So <laughs> great timing to yeah, get out. Yeah, timing's everything. Yeah. So uh, our director of engineering at the time uh, reminded me that my, my grandfather called the uh, 1981 recession, which was actually, by the way, when I was born. And he was, you know, so he would joke, he goes, that was the Irish recession. So he pointed back into my face, this is the Hoffer Great Recession. There's a little, <laughs> you know, um, we kind of have a, a spirited, you know, collaborative uh, feel here. Um, it's a family setting. So we, we have a lot of fun with that. But I got to learn how it was in a hard time. And I remember thinking, you know, going back to that persistence and, uh, and, and believing, even when things were tough, that this was awesome that I was selling in the Great Recession because first of all, people were using the Great Recession as like an excuse that they couldn't sell anything. And, right. you know, I was going to go out and hear a bunch of no's no matter what, because I was a rookie. So I was just like everybody else at that point. And, you know, I, I learned a lot. Um, eventually, I started selling on price and learned how, what a, a terrible idea that is, is um, we had seasoned, uh, you know, seasoned people on our team who would remind me uh, when we were going through, um, you know, approvals, uh, just kind of how bad the work was that I was bringing into our facility. So our customers loved me because they were getting such great deals. Right. Um, so 
you know, I had to learn and I had to fail. and I had to take a lot of feedback from people. And, um, I, you know, I think I, my skin got a little thicker because, uh, you know, again, a couple of mentors always pointed out that, you know, because, you know, I, I'm bald. I look like, like I look, you know, a, a lot like my dad and even my grandfather, you know, every eyeball was going to be on me when I was, you know, pulling out of the parking lot early or, you know, trying to uh, work, work from home, you know, tw- 10 years before COVID-19 and, and that sort of thing. So, um, so there was a lot of time at the office and there was a lot of eyes on me. So, you know, I had to, I had to prove myself that I was, um, that I was worth it, if you will. Yeah. Thinking back to that time when you were starting in sales and what you know now, what's that one thing you wish you would have been taught when you were starting? So I, um, large part of my uh, success was that I was very responsive. And um, it's something that I encourage everybody, like uh, every salesperson I encourage because nobody likes a salesperson that doesn't get back to you. Um, but to answer your question, it, what I've come to, to appreciate with age is there's a double-edged sword to that. Um, and what I mean is if you're always responsive and you're never giving time to recuperate and to rest, and it took you know, a wife and three kids for me to realize this, there is this thing that is so foreign to you when you're in your 20s called burnout. And I got to a point, um, my faith is a very important component. I write about it a lot in my, um, on my blog that um, my executive coach, and this was a couple, three or four years ago now, looked at me and he said, uh, and this might turn some of our listeners off and not my intent to proselytize or anything like that. But he said, Alex, you are soul sick. And what that means is that I was, I was working to the point where um, you know, I didn't have real good emotional health. And as a leader, you know, leadership's always about others. It's never about you. And if you're not healthy inside of yourself, you cannot shepherd and help and coach and teach those you're trying to lead. In fact, I would go so far as to say you're unfollowable when you are not healthy yourself. And so I had to create some boundaries around that. And, you know, to some relationships, uh, relationships, reset some expectations that they could email me at 9.30 at night, you know, and I, they might not get an answer till 6.30 in the morning, which, you know, doesn't sound like, oh, that sounds pretty normal, but I was the guy on email at 9.30 at night. Oh, yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I try to, you know, take a Sabbath and I try to take a one day in seven, you know, completely off or mostly off, you know, oh, yeah. I'm laughing because I struggle with that. I'm just owning it. Cause I love what I do, you know? Yeah. So it's not like it's a, it's a punishment. It's just, you know, so young people out there or even seasoned, seasoned vets, you got to give yourself some time because if you're unhealthy, that unhealthy uh, characteristic is going to come across in your relationships and it's going to be detrimental um, to those you love the most, including your customers. And I, I hope you love your more. customers, by the way. Yeah. I could not agree more. It's actually uh, as an entrepreneur, um, I can relate very strongly to what you're saying, and and it's actually one of our core values, uh, work-life balance. That hey, when you're at work, work hard, but when the day is done, focus on yourself, your family. Um, drop work, forget about work. 
recharge the batteries, live your life. That's so important to have that balance. Yeah, we agree. Yeah, that's terrific. Uh, for someone that wants to transition into sales leadership, it's a big jump. It's very different from sales. Um, tell us about your transition from being gung-ho sales guy to now I have to be, I'm, I'm in charge of, you know, revenue responsibility for our organization. What's that transition like? Yeah, so for me, it was the next logical step uh, of progression, which is a terrible answer. So I'll pause there for object, you know, for, you know, for, for impact. It's a terrible answer. And so I had to learn early on in my sales leadership that being a leader is completely different than being an account manager or a business, we call it business development manager. Right. Because I went into sales leadership thinking that, okay, now I have a bunch of direct reports and I can still do my other job. And leadership, as I said a minute ago, is always about building into other human beings. They're following you because you're someone worth following, that you have the characteristics that, you know, in a lot of ways, um, that they feel valued by whatever the giftedness is that you bring to the table. So from a sales perspective, you might be able to offer a different perspective or you know, you should definitely be setting the uh, expectations around what success looks like. Right. That's why I'm a big fan of KRA's key results areas that in plain English specify what winning looks like. Um, so, you know, leadership is so much, it's so different than, you know, day-to-day -day account management. Um, so, I mean, we can, I'm sure we, we talk about this for, um, for a long time because, no. uh, what I would say to somebody who's thinking about this, and I don't think I answered that part of the question, is I would ask yourself why. Because a lot of times in sales, I feel like going back to my original answer, the why is that, well, it's the next logical step. It's, you know, so I'm going to get paid more. I'm going to have, you know, power or authority or whatever it is that you're chasing. And I think that you have to ask yourself, um, if the pay stays the same, if the, if the authority is just relatively the same, would you still want it? Because if you're not motivated in leading other people and, and making your existence be about other people, then you should stick to doing what you're doing as a salesperson because we need thriving salespeople on our team. Yeah. So I think, I think having that understanding of why you want to progress in that direction is very important. Oh yeah. I think, I mean, I think back when I was younger that, you know, I had this perception that, Oh, Hey, when I'm the vice president of whatever, that I've got that great title, I've got the, like you said, more money and more responsibility without a clue what that really means. You know, that stuff's very shallow and very fleeting. And if you don't have a much deeper meaning to an understanding of what it really means to be a leader, uh, don't, don't go that route. Well, I, I joke, you know, 25 years ago, there was this philosopher, uh, the notorious B.I.G., who said, mo money, mo problems. It might be Puff Daddy. I don't know. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a white guy that likes country music. Yeah. But the point is, is that mo money, mo problems is more power, more problems. You yeah. put, you insert your, you know, your um, new job title there and you're going to have more problems. Yeah. And 
that's a good thing. If you're, if you're in leadership and, and you're in the right spot, you're okay with that because oh, yeah. that's, that's where your giftedness is and you thrive in those situations. Mm -hmm. uh, leaders should be thriving in, in personnel problems because that's, that's where we, you know, that's where we lead. I mean, I've heard Patrick Lincioni say that leaders should be in meetings, you know, 80% of the day because that's where they lead. And if you think about it, there's so much truth to that. Yeah, that's awesome. The, uh, uh, your blog, you recently did a, uh, a series of three blogs around leadership. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so, you know, I'm always thinking of new um, new ideas for some mini series with regards to some posts, and uh, you know I try to write you know shorter posts, and but sometimes they can get a little bit longer, as in you know as in this case. Um, I was thinking about the essentials of leadership, and what I mean by that is what are the things that make someone follow follow uh, followable? I can't say that word. Um, because leadership comes down to a very simple thing. It's, are you someone others want to follow? It, it's not a job title. It, it's, it's, you know, I mean, it has nothing to do with, you know, where you are in the uh, organizational chart because anybody can lead. You know, John Maxwell says that leadership is always about influence. And I, I tend to agree with that because I can be led by people, quote unquote, lower in the, um, uh, in the, on the job, you know, in the organizational chart here, because if their influence is, is, is such, um, they might persuade me to think differently. I mean, that's the, the beauty of leadership. And so, you know, in, in a sense, I tried to think about like, what are those things that make someone followable? So for example, courage leading through conflict, because it's not, you know, it's not normal for human beings to want to run towards conflict. Like we are wired to run away. I mean, we have that fight or flight response when something bad happens. Like I was talking about a minute ago, interpersonal conflict. I don't necessarily want to spend my entire day in interpersonal conflict, but I know as a leader that we as leaders do the things that nobody else want to do. And that's what makes us followable. So, you know, having courage to face the conflict and run towards uh, towards the fire or one of the most um, amazing acts of bravery I've ever seen. And I don't know if we'll ever see anything more is all those pictures on 9-11 of firemen running towards the towers when everyone was running away. I mean, that's leadership personified. Um, so another example would be vulnerability. Um, I agree with Simon Sinek that leaders need to go first. They also need, you know, his book, Leaders Eat Last, is, uh, is a great, um, great tool in that sense. Um, and we need to be the ones that are just opening up and, and, and being real with one another. And, you know, so vulnerability and leadership, you know, I feel like we live in such a divided world and especially, you know, we're recording this the first week of January in the midst of a bunch of, you know, political chaos and whether you're right or left doesn't matter. There's just division and, you know, vulnerability is it's a leader's, okay, so how can I be vulnerable to the point where I'm going to bring people together and make people feel valued on whatever their political beliefs are, or whatever their, you know, sporting uh, rooting interests are, or whatever their hobbies are. And so you know, I think vulnerability is, is really important with that. Um, 
But also, you, had, you know, another thing I wrote about was predictability because we can't be the type of people that uh, I wonder what Alex, you know, which Alex is going to show up. Is it going to be the grumpy one? Is it going to be the, you know, the happy one? Is, you know, people can't be asking that, you know, and leaders were held to a higher standard because, you know, we can have our bad days in private, but again, we have to be feeding into other human beings. So, you know, our bad days have to be in our office. And when we go out, we got to be projecting, you know, things that are going to build others up. That's, I love that part of your series. This doesn't get talked about a lot, at least not in the stuff that I've been looking at. People don't really talk about predictability, but I think that is so key to, uh, uh, you know, to really be that anchor for, the, for your team and, and provide that stable resource. I, I think that was, that's tremendous insight. Well, I, I've been told before, I'm a little predictable. So maybe that's just part of my, uh, my personality. So <laughs> just don't play you know, poker with them. You'll be okay. <laughs> I would be a terrible poker player. Okay. Cause you'd be like, okay, I know what, I know what cards he has. So um, I'd be the guy, you know, cheering everybody on, you know? Right. Right. Well, we're at that time where we transition to start talking about CRM. Um, start this off the same way every time. CRM, do you love it or do you hate it? You probably won't like this answer. I'm somewhere in the middle. And it's fine. Uh, I was thinking about it from this standpoint because my, my favorite sport, uh, I'm a golfer. Okay. So love to play golf. Come, I've come up in a family that golf is very important and, um, so I play a, you know, a bunch throughout the summer. Um, my wife would say I play a lot more than I think I play. And she's probably right. Cause she's always right. Um, golf, the golfing world, the analogy I'd give you is technology and golf. So technology has come a long way from when I played competitively in high school. Uh, you know, the, you can get, I mean, I spend way too much money on my clubs. I don't do it often, but they can dial everything in almost um, perfectly now. It's amazing what they what they're doing with technology, and so as a golfer, it would be foolish of me to ignore technology. But just because I have the technology isn't going to make me good at playing the game. It's not going to make me drain ten footers, which is what I you know, lie in my bed dreaming about because that would make the game so much more fun. And so sales CRMs is sort of I view it the same way. It's like technology and golf. You're a fool not to invest in it. And that's what we're uh, doing in, in uh, this coming years. We're looking at how to up our game with a new, um, new CRM. Um, but it isn't going to guarantee results. And, and I'm okay for pushback there. Um, I think it could make certain aspects of the job easier. Um, I'm very encouraged by you know, some of the artificial intelligence that come along uh, with it where you can think about other things because you know that this uh, CRM is going to be helping you remember certain things. And, and uh, for those of us who are not um, type A like me, that might be helpful. Um, so I don't know if that analogy helps, but, you know, so I, I sort of view it as it's, it's, it's needed technology in both senses, but I still got to, I still got to go out and practice and I still have to be a practitioner and I still have to, um, you know, work, Hard and I know no one's selling CRM saying you're not going to have to work hard. So you know um, what? But I I'm going to surprise you here. I completely agree with you with what you said. I'm going to steal your analogy. I'm going to start using that because I get spot on. 
I think one of the biggest mistakes companies make when they're saying, hey, we need a CRM, that they go into it thinking, hey, it's going to solve all our problems. Life is going to be so much easier when once we have CRM. You still have to work hard. You still have to have that same level of commitment. CRM is going to help you in a lot of ways, but it's not going to do the work for you. Um, you know, so those people that have that perception that, hey, we can fix our sales problems with CRM, forget it. You're, you're, you're going you're gonna to have one of those statistics of the failed CRMs, um, or maybe not failed, but a mediocre CRM implementation. Um, you know, for me, CRM is a business strategy. It's a tool uh, like anything else, and you have to use it the right way. Uh, it sounds like you have a, the exactly spot-on perspective you need to have when you're going into this. What was driving your decision to say, hey, we, we need to evolve. We need to, to look at CRM. What was behind that? I look at some of the tasks that our salespeople do, and we um, we ask our salespeople to do a lot. So we're, we're probably not for everybody who's looking for a sales job out there because we ask our salespeople to manage accounts. There's a you know there's a little aspect of project managers. We have project managers here, but um, there's a little bit of aspect of managing some prospect or uh, projects. I beg your pardon. Um, in in their jobs and. Um, just the amount of information with emails and call reports and things of that nature. I want to arm salespeople with a tool that will allow them to communicate in the easiest fashion possible. I mean, I mean, I'm putting it at a very basic level. I mean, we have a great ERP system that we've implemented in the last five years. You know, so we've you know looked at their CRM and, and played with it a little bit. Now we feel like we need to take the next step. Um, between using that and some of the systems that we've created internally to kind of funnel, funnel it all to one system. And so, um, you know, so that that's part of the encouragement. And then also just, you know, I'm always looking at things that how can we automate that? How can we automate that? How can we automate that? We should be asking those questions uh, because um, I believe the, you know, I believe the future of work is humanity. And so any, any way that we can get into, and I'm stealing that from, um, and I, I can't think of the gentleman who said that, so I don't want to be a, I don't want to plagiarize. So that credit goes to somebody else who said that, but I agree with it, um, that we need to be using technology so that we can spend more time with people addressing their problems and, and helping them. Uh, so I think CRM can help us get to that level. Yeah, that's great. Uh, have, do you have a definition of success for your CRM implementation? That's a really good question, which is a, you know, a great way of me saying that I haven't thought about that. And I'm going to think about that now. Um, off the cuff answer would be, um, we will know it has succeeded when our sales people spend more time interfacing directly with customers and less time uh, manually doing things like call reports and, you know, filling out whatever the stuff that it is that salespeople don't like. Like you know, I used to be one, right. didn't like spending time doing that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, you bet. Um, from the, uh, uh, do you have any goals for your, your marketing team in terms of how they're going to interact and interface with CRM? That's a, another good question. My sister Charlotte is ahead of our marketing team, and we have sort of a 
Gretchen, Charlotte, um, and myself have uh, shared leadership within the company. And so um, she would be more fit to answer that question. Um, but I'm sure it's, again, going to help us to, you know, look at how we're communicating with customers and, and what messages are, you know, getting through. So, for example, one thing that comes to mind is, you know, of course, we're, we're looking at our metrics on social media, what works, what isn't working, what, what do they find valuable, yes. um, you know, because there's just so much information out there. We don't want to be spamming people. We don't want to be, you know, being noisy. Um, so that's a constant, you know, something constantly that we're working at. So uh, I believe the CRM is going to allow us to pinpoint that more accurately. Yeah. I don't want to grill you here, but I'm going to ask you one more question about your, your thought perspective as a CRO with CRM. You've talked a lot about the sales team, but what about the rest of your organization in terms of sales team has now closed a deal and we're, we're onboarding a new customer, for example, are they going to be part of your CRM implementation? Yeah, and that's a really good point. I'm glad you went there because um, the, another component of the uh, success for a CRM is communication. And by that, I mean internally, because I want to be able to you know, show the rest of the organization what's, you know, what are we close on? What are we, what are we doing at customer X? You know, what should they be aware of a customer Y? And um, so that's something that in whatever CRM we've looked at, I've always been very um, interested in because um, I sort of have a, I mean, the way it's set up is sales is one part of my job. Uh, our director of manufacturing also reports to me, director of engineering reports to me. So I have a, I have a 50% of my job is looking at the operations side of our yeah. business. And so that the, the the cool thing about that is it's allowed me to kind of bridge sales and ops together because they have one you know person who kind of likes to talk and communicate um, in charge of both and so you know I'm I'm always trying to go back and forth because it's you know, like any other manufacturer that's running 24 hours a day almost seven days a week it's hard to get everybody together frequently yep. so a lot of times the, the the common you know denominator is myself and so you know. I'm in a plant or in a boardroom with our plant managers and telling what the sales team's doing. And a couple of weeks later, we've got the sales team talking about the initiatives of the um, the plants and what they're up to. And, you know, and kind of going, you know, back to that, it's, you know, I'm thinking through this, but, you know, when we implemented our ERP system, that I'm able to pull all this data to bring to the sales team. Well, now I can do the same thing with the sales CRM. It's going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that, yeah, that's, I mean, I mean, it's good. It's, it, it, it's exciting me just thinking about it. Oh I, yeah. I think we will long overdue for that. Yeah. I, we always, that's one of the first questions I ask uh, when we engage with a new client is, you know, what is your current scope of, of CRM? And if it's limited to the sales team, I, I always advise them, you're missing out on a huge opportunity that by extending it through into your operations teams. Think about all the things that have to happen when you sign a new customer. That should all be visible and and usually managed by CRM. Um, there's a lot of opportunity to drive ROI when you extend CRM beyond the sales team. Well, can I say one other thing about yeah. sales leadership here? And it's tied to this because, you know, kind of going back to the vulnerability uh, piece from a minute ago, 
I always, as a sales leader, want to want to be able to explain to the organization why each customer matters. And, and so for Offer Plastics, very value-led organization, our core values are family, integrity, service, and trust. The power of the narrative, power of the people on the floor at that customer. So I can think of a, a Midwestern appliance customer that everybody in the audience would know um, and just experiences with the people and how our parts uh, really impact them on the assembly line and help them stay employed. And it's amazing when people start to begin to understand the why behind the what they're doing, just how passionate they become about what they're doing. Yeah. And that's just another thing that I could see that a sales CRM could help me with. So yeah, we're that's excited. Awesome. It's, 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 yeah. it's a great time for you guys. You're it's, it's, uh, you know, that's where I get my fuel and energy, but I can see you've got a lot uh, going on there motivating you. That's that's terrific. We are coming up on our time here on Sales Lead Dog. I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been great listening to you and talking with you. If people want to reach out and connect with you, uh, possibly learn more about your company, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Two ways. Uh, number one, LinkedIn. Uh, Alex Hoffer on LinkedIn. You can you can follow me or connect with me. Um, and then number two, my blog, baldinbusiness.com, or you can email me at alex at baldinbusiness.com. Uh, that's just a you know a side thing that I do. I love to write about leadership and personal development. Uh, one post a week on Mondays, no more. I'm not going to spam you or anything like that. Um, and they're usually two to three minute reads. So uh, those are the best two ways. And I can uh, vouch, he, he's got a terrific blog. And one of the things that I like about blogs, when people uh, get personal, you are not afraid to get personal about your life. And I think that's pretty cool. Well, like I'm a full book, whether it's good or bad, it's probably in the judge of, you know, judge of the audience. Um, but yeah, I, you're gonna get the real deal from me. Um, the good, the bad, and often the ugly. <laughs> Well, that's, thank you again for coming on the show, Alex. It's been great talking with you. Well, thank you very much. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.